you. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. Wow, I'm actually really impressed with the people in the room this morning with the, you know, springing ahead. This place is pretty full. I thought there'd be people sleeping in or people like coming in like right now. But uh, no, everyone's sit, sitting and ready to go. And um, I don't know about you, but I was like, I was ready to like Chuck Norris my alarm clock this morning. But uh, yeah, I don't like the time, but uh, I like being here with you guys this morning. Um, well, Pastor Roy is in Mexico, so you're stuck with me for the morning. So I apologize in advance. But um, yeah, he's catching some rays. Uh, he sent me a, a, screen, a selfie of him yesterday. And yeah, he's, uh, he's got that nice sun-kissed look to him. Um, so I'm, I'm not saying I'm jealous, but I'm jealous. And uh, yeah, so he's living up, having a good time. So I'm happy to be here, and I'm happy to give him the week off. And he's just enjoying it. But uh, when the pastor's away, the congregation's going to play, right? Who's with me, right? So we can break some rules, right? Right, right? Come on, people. Come on. When the teacher leaves the room, that's when you start having fun. You start throwing spitballs, you know, sitting on your desk rather than in the chair, you know, like the cool kids. Come on. You're with me? Okay. All right. Okay. All right. So we're going to do this. And uh, I don't know. What can we do? Um, maybe we can, like, pull in, like, an Xbox, play some games, stream some Netflix up there. Anybody, anybody have any good re Netflix recommendations? What are we watching these days? Jesus Revolution, I, that's on my list of things. Yeah, I want to get out and see that. The Intern. <laughs> yeah, there's lots of, everyone's probably like, oh, I don't want to tell them what I'm watching. Uh, <laughs> um, no, but yeah, speaking of Jesus Revolution, have, have you watched The Chosen yet? Oh man, I love that show. I'm like a huge advocate. Um, the second I first watched it, the first episode, where's Scott and Janelle? Over here. Remember else we were talking about it? I'm like, you're going to watch it, and it's going to hit you in the face like a brick wall. Like, you're just going to be crying. You're going to be like, what is happening to me? <laughs> Why is he so, he's so awesome? But yeah, like the first episode, it was awesome, and then you just binge it. And then they just released the third season, and then we like binged it in like, I don't know, a week or two. And now I got to wait like, seems like five years for the next season. And I'm just angry the whole time until it comes out, right? It's awesome when it's here, but the whole time while you're waiting for the next season, you're just like, oh, how could they do this to me? It's, it's frustrating. But uh, I was at my brother's one night, and I was telling him, like, oh, man, you got to watch this show. It's awesome how they, you know, just depict the biblical stories and, and the plots and the storylines that they have um, that's, you know, that corresponds with the biblical story. It's just, it's just really well written, really well put together. Um, um, it's not one of those, like, cheesy Jesus um, things, you know, and like I avoid those. Um, I'm there, but so I, which I was skeptical when I watched the first episode, I was blown away. But uh, it was awesome. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, oh man, you just gotta watch it. And then there's this guy, and he's blind, and then he sees, and there's this lame guy, and he walks, and there's like this other woman, and, and, and she, you know, she was bleeding. And then, oh, you know what? I don't even wanna tell you what happens. And my wife's like, are you, what? She's like, it's in the Bible, Frank. <laughs> he knows what's gonna happen. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, she keeps me grounded that way. But, like, I just get so excited. I get so excited for, like, movies and shows. I just, uh, what do they call it, uh, um, um, uh, a cinemaphile or whatever, when somebody like, just likes movies, they're really into it, like, those types of things. I guess that's what you would classify me as. Um, and what I think about um, these movies, you know, I have three little boys as well, and, uh, you know, they're young, but I'm already, like, looking to the future, like, what can I... What can I expose them to? Like, there's things, that are, they're too young for now. Like, Lord of the Rings might freak them out. But, um, you know, I definitely want to get them there. 
Um, so Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, um, Avatar, uh, Indiana Jones. Oh, man, yeah. Like, all these things. And, like, but you know, all the nerdy ones, I, I really want to get them hooked on. You know, maybe one day we'll do um, uh, Fast and the Furious trilogy, you know, introduced from the Vin Diesel and Paul Walker. Um, what's the other one? Rocky. Oh, my gosh. They got to watch Rocky. They're not my kids if they don't watch Rocky, you know? <laughs> um, yeah, and the new Creed's coming out. Who's excited about that? I just, I love boxing movies. I'm that guy. Um, you know, I'm, I'm just really big into sci-fi, fantasy, action, car case, shoot 'em ups boxing movie type guy. That's just who I am. Um, occasionally, I'll watch, you know, the, um, the occasional drama. There's some really good ones out there, like um, The Art of Racing in the Rain, if you've seen that one. Um, it's kind of left field for me, but I really enjoy it. Um, the occasional chick flick, yeah. Um, <laughs> Sweet Home Alabama, uh, Reese Witherspoon. I don't know why. I can't tell you why. I just like it. It's good. It's good. Just let's keep that in the room, okay? We can cut that online. I don't want that all over YouTube. But uh, yeah, that's just a little bit about me. And what I noticed about myself and all these is that I really love a good underdog story. And I don't think I'm alone, since arguably most movies have some form of underdog in them. You know, and I think it's because people love underdog stories. Hollywood puts uh, underdogs in so many of their movies, and I think it's because it sells. There is something out inside of us, you know, it's written in our DNA that we relate to what we are watching on the big screen. We all feel like underdogs in one way or another, and in one time or another. We don't feel worthy, don't feel capable, we don't feel equipped, but we are faced with the challenges of everyday life regardless. And we long for victory and to come out on top. You know, it's a tale as old as time, a song as old as rhyme. It's Beauty and the Beast, by the way. Caught that? Yeah, yeah. One of my favorite underdog movies of all time, and my wife makes fun of me all the time, and you probably never heard of it, because it's just like, it's, I don't think it, I think it was, you might call it a flop, but I don't know, I thought it was a huge hit. It was one of my favorites. It's called Real Steel. Have you seen that one with Hugh Jackman? Um, so Hugh, anyway, I'm, I'm going to spoil it for you right now, so, but don't worry, you're going you're gonna to want to go watch it regardless, so here comes the bomb. So Hugh Jackman, he finds out that uh, he has this, uh, this son with his ex-girlfriend that he never knew about, but he finds out that he lives because he was left on his doorstep after she passed away from cancer. And the aunt, and so he has to take custody of this child, but the aunt swoops in of the boy and says, no, I want the kid and wants to take, wants to take his son from him. And he's fine with that because he's not interested in raising a, raising a, a son. And, uh, but the aunt's wealthy husband wants to go on a trip to Paris for the week. So behind the scenes, he says, hey, I'll give you like a small fortune if you just watch him for the week so it doesn't interrupt my trip to Paris. And so he, because he, he's shady, he takes the money and says, all right, I'm gonna watch this kid for a week and I'll tolerate him. Um, but uh, Hugh Jackman in this movie, he's this ex-boxer. He's this washed up, has been. In the future, everyone's fighting with robots. It's robot boxing. That's what, real steel. So like, I probably lost like three quarters of you already. You're like, oh. Robots, what? But yeah, they fight with robots. And uh, he's just, so no humans actually fight anymore. So his career is over. And he's pretty bummed about that. But he has these robots and he goes out and he tries to, to bet on these fights and make money. He's kind of become that sleazy guy, not interested in his son, just focused on himself. And uh, they go on the road to try to bet on boxing matches and hope to get rich. And then one night they're in this junkyard looking for scrap parts, basically stealing. And the boy f comes upon this old busted down boxing robot that was just used as like a sparring robot, a practice robot that was buried in the garbage. And the boy insists on taking him out. 
And the boy hauls them out of the, out of the dumpster and cleans them all up, fixes them all up, tinkers with them a bit, and lo and behold, he powers on and he's ready to go and he comes to life. But he still doesn't think anything of it because it's just a, a sparring robot, nothing special about him. But uh, over the course of the journey, and again, there's lots to fill in there, so go out and watch for yourself, uh, Hugh Jackman's heart softens for his son and he realizes, you know, I don't, uh, I want to keep him, he's mine. Um, I, want a full, I want full custody of my son. And then, of course, fast forward, by the end of the movie, it's very typical, you know, there's lots of success, a lot of highs, a lot of lows, and, but of course, they end up in the title fight of their life against the undefeated champion named Zeus. But, oh, sorry, uh, the robot's name was Adam, by the way. Adam, not like Adam and Eve, but maybe there's a correspondence there, but Atom, like A-T-O-M. Um, and Adam's remote control, yes, because it's a robot. It's got a remote control. Very nerdy. I know, and I've lost you already. But, uh, <laughs> um, but his remote control breaks because he's just taking too many blows to the head, I guess. And, but Adam is very special. Adam has a mirror function where he, watch, where he can match and he can mirror the actions of his controller. So there's this moment in the movie where Hugh Jackman gets down in front of him and says, Adam, watch me. Watch me, okay? This is depending. You need to watch me. And in that moment, I'm reminded of John chapter 5, verse 19. It says, the son can't do anything by himself. He can only do what he sees the father doing. And Hugh Jackman begins shadow boxing on the side of the ring, and Adam's mimicking his moves exactly. And he begins to turn the fight around after blow after blow after blow, and everyone's blown away because no one's been able to last this long in the ring with Zeus. And there's this beautiful moment and it's so beautiful, the director put it in slow-mo. That's how you know it's beautiful. <laughs> it's so beautiful. In this moment where his son is looking at his dad boxing, and he no longer sees a deadbeat dad or a struggling has-been. He sees his father, his true father, fighting again, living again, full of hope again, not giving up, not backing down, refusing to surrender, relentlessly standing his ground. And as his son watches his father, it's clear that this is more than just about winning a boxing match. It's the son experiencing in a very tangible way his father fighting for him, knowing his father wants him. With this robot that was pulled from the trash, he is not fighting for the title of world champion anymore. He's fighting for the title of father. So you might think giant fighting robots are stupid, but I promise you, this movie will <clears throat> right in the feels. I swear, I was tearing up, and my wife was like, are you kidding me? What are you, it's a robot. But uh, you know who else loves a good underdog story? This is going to be cheesy. Jesus. <laughs> I know this because Scripture's full of people who shouldn't, couldn't, and wouldn't, but after experiencing him, they did. For the past three weeks, Pastor Roy delivered a series called Know a Name, Know a Face. Sorry, Know a Face, Know a Name, Know a Story. So I thought I'd share a message with you about a person whose name we do not know, a face we've personally haven't seen, but we do know her story. And the story comes from John chapter 4, verse 4 to 32. Yep, we're going to go all the way to 32. So buckle up, I'm going to read it, and we'll get through it. It says, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, 
How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? And he gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will, soon, will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here and draw water. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive you, that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ, when he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with, some, with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. This is one of my favorite stories of the gospel. And uh, saying that, I'm pretty sure I say that every time I talk about a story from the gospel. I just can't help but be fascinated by the brief, impactful moments Jesus cultivates with those he encounters and crosses paths with. Each interaction, we are given a glimpse of the heart of God. The moment people meet their Savior, and experience the true heart of God and realize it's nothing they've ever expected, but so much better. If you've been like me, I find it way too easy to try to tell God who he is or who I want him to be when I need to let him show me who he is. This is what I want to do this morning. I want to dig into this scripture. I want and allow God to tell us who he is. I want to talk about Jesus this morning. Is that cool? Can we do that? That's what we're here for, right? Let's talk about Jesus. And to do that in this story, we had to talk about the woman at the well. The woman at the well. We don't know her name. We don't know her face, but we know Jesus does. She's the underdog in this story. There are some things I want to get out of the way right away. So we're all on the same page as we navigate this story. First of all, her coincidental meeting with Jesus at this well in the middle of the afternoon wasn't a coincidence at all. We read in verse 4 that Jesus had to pass through Samaria. Samaritans referred to as half-breeds. Um, in, in the past, they, they would have um, wed and bred with uh, Assyrians at the time, and so now they've kind of diluted themselves, and they're not, they weren't considered uh, full or pure Jews. 
And they also had different opinions on where God can be worshipped. You know, there was so much intolerance between the Jews and the Samaritans that it was completely normal for Jews to avoid Samaria at any expense. They would travel a day's worth around it just to avoid going through it. Um, but Jesus, even before he arrived, he already had this woman on his mind, right? Because he had to go through Samaria. When the culture at the time says, you don't have to, Jesus, but he had to. See, a divine appointment was set that Jesus knew about, but the woman and the disciples did not. A divine appointment that was going to change her understanding of who God is. A divine appointment that is going to set a divine direction for her. Secondly, we know this woman had a difficult life. Just by her presence at the well in the afternoon, this tells us she was avoiding the crowds of people because commonly people would go to the well in the cool of the morning to avoid you know, the scorching, scorching sun and the heat of the afternoon to get their water ready for the day. And Jesus asked her, um, Jesus asked her to go get her husband, but she says she doesn't have a husband. And he says, you're right, you've had five husbands and the man you're with right now is not your husband. This gives us evidence as to why she doesn't feel welcome at the well in the cool of the morning or why she just doesn't want to be around people. You know, perhaps she was just fed up and tired of all the staring, all the pointing, all the whispering, all the opinions. You know, like, well, if you would just do this or if you just do that or, or why don't you fix yourself, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, all the opinions. If there was no place for her in the community, if she wasn't good enough to be given the basic dignity of not being treated like an outcast, if the community didn't need her, then maybe she doesn't need the community. This woman really is a survivor. Life didn't go as planned. She made, you know, she made some poor decisions along the way. But she's going to look out for number one because who else has her back, right? And it's a tough reality as a community because as a community today, we can still behave this way. We see people with struggles, addictions, dilemmas. We don't mean to, but we can treat it, them as lesser than. Everyone seems to have sympathy, but empathy these days seems much more rare. We'll offer to pray for them and, um, you know, what, what does Pastor Roy say? Uh, we'll tell them, you know, we love you with the love of the Lord. Praise Jesus. <laughs> or when I was a kid, what was it? Um, Jesus loves you and so do I. That was the one I heard a lot. But, be, but we, 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 we keep it so shallow and on the surface because we're afraid of our own issues coming to the surface. The woman in the story has been even judged by us 2,000 years later. I remember being told this story in Sunday school. And it always seemed to be portrayed as Jesus is calling out this woman about her sin and hanging out her dirty laundry and rubbing in her face. And then she just becomes so overwhelmed with the shame of, oh my gosh, he knows who I am. Oh, I'm so shameful. And she has her coming to Jesus moment. And really the moral of the story is what I was being taught is that Jesus heals adulterers. And while that's true, Jesus does, sorry, he forgives adulterers. But while that's true, I don't believe that's the only thing being taught in this story. Like I said in the beginning, we were talking about her story, but I want to talk about Jesus. See, there's nothing recorded in this story about Jesus offering forgiveness to this woman. See, Jesus doesn't want to address her sin. Jesus is addressing her story. He's addressing her pain. Jesus is showing empathy to the woman. 
Jesus patiently waits at the well for this woman to arrive. And when she arrives, he engages her with a request, give me a drink. But the woman is shocked, not only that the Jewish travelers in the area, but he's even stopped in Samaria and isn't put off by receiving a drink from a Samaritan woman. She responds to him saying, in a way saying like, are you well? Like, what's your deal, man? Like, you, you're aware that you're a Jewish man, right? And I'm a Samaritan woman. We don't help each other. We don't even look in each other's direction. What, what, is, what kind of situation are you in <laughs> that you're asking me for water? What have, you, what have you been up to? But Jesus piques her interest with a wild statement, saying, if you knew who I am, you'd be asking me for a drink. And I wouldn't hesitate to give you anything less than living water. She responds back with, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Did you catch that? The well is deep. We aren't talking about drawing water from a well anymore. She tells Jesus he doesn't even have a bucket to draw water with, but what she doesn't even realize is that Jesus has already begun drawing out of her. And she's right. Her well is very deep. Very deep. There is more to this woman than what can be seen on the surface. She's got a long, complicated story with layers on top of layers of how she ended up where she was at. While we can speculate as to all the different decisions and life choices she might have made to maybe find the exact moment in her timeline where things went wrong, but we'd be here all day and night. So it's easy for us just to call her the adulterous woman and move on, right? She probably has forgotten herself, just how deep her well goes. She's explained her situation over and over again and tried to connect the dots so many times in her story that she's lost track of how many dots are actually in her story. So here she is, hopelessly collecting the day's worth of water when this strange man just shows up and starts talking about living water, whatever that is, right? She continues saying to him, where do you get this fancy living water? Do you think you are greater than our father Jacob? And she's referring to the fathers of the faith, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who dug that well. Jacob gave us this well, and the well is good enough for it to support the entire community and for generations without fail. So Jacob drank from the well himself. His sons drank from the well himself. So did their livestock. So this well not only provided life-giving water for the desert where they were living, but it also provided um, uh, income. It, it fed their, 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 their crops and it fed their livestock. It's what the whole community was based on. And it's not just a, a temporary well. This well has been there for generations and they're all dependent on it. And she's saying, how can you say you have something greater? But Jesus doubles down as he likes to do on his living water analogy and defines the difference of his water and tells her the water of this well will only temporarily satisfy her thirst. The water Jesus is offering will quench your thirst forever. In fact, his water will become a well of its own springing up from inside of us and granting eternal life. After hearing this, she says she wants this water. Of course she does. I want this water. Who doesn't? What was it last week? Pastor Roy was talking about superpowers. Imagine a superpower. What's your superpower? Well, I just don't get thirsty. <laughs> That'd be pretty, well, I don't know if it's practical nowadays, but it'd be cool back then. You know, she had to walk out to that well every, I don't know, every single day, maybe some days a couple times a day, but imagine she just didn't have to. All the stuff she can get done. That'd be incredible. It's efficient. But uh, she doesn't want to thirst anymore. She's tired of the trips to the well in the heat of the afternoon, all alone. Another reminder of who society says she is. 
Jesus tells her to go get her husband, and she responds with, I don't have a husband. And Jesus' response is, I know. I know. You've had five husbands, and the man you are with now is not your husband. I know. I know. It's in this moment we see the desire of God's heart for this woman and for you. Because if we are truly honest with ourselves, we all have deep wells. But there's no well too deep that Jesus cannot draw from. In this moment, the woman is in conversation with the Son of God, the spotless Lamb. He's perfect. If anyone's gonna cast judgment, he's the only one who rightfully so could. But we don't see him rubbing her nose in her sin or telling her to get her act together. He simply wants her to know that he sees her. Jesus is telling her, I see you. I know you. I know where you've been. I know what you've done. I know why you did it. I know why you justified it in the moment. I know how you were hurt. I know what they said about you. And I know what they've done to you. I know the details of your story. She immediately assumes Jesus is a prophet because he knew these details of her life. Her reaction seems almost defensive. You know, she begins saying, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you, you Jews, say that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. She knows she's lost. She knows her life isn't in order. She wants to come to God. She wants to believe there is hope for her. But what is she to do? She isn't welcomed in Jerusalem. She can't go there because she's not a Jew. She can't show her face there. She's not welcome. She can't go there to make amends. She can't go there to worship God. She can't go there to tell God, God, I'm sorry, God, uh, and, and worship him. She can't even go to her own synagogue where they say that's where you need to worship God because she's not welcome there because of her social standings, because everyone knows her story and knows her background, and she's not welcome. And if that's where you're supposed to worship, and that's where you're supposed to worship, and you can't worship anywhere else, then what is she to do? How am I supposed to come to God? How am I to make amends for the things I've done? The system's rigged against me. I'm not welcomed anywhere. I know I'm not good. I know I'm broken. The world around me says I'm not redeemable. No one has my back. No one respectable will be seen with me. Who will be my advocate? Who will vouch for me? Who will tell God that I'm sorry? Who will intercede for me? Who? And Jesus tells her, believe me, a time is coming, say coming, a time is coming where you will worship God, you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain or in Jerusalem. A time is coming and is here now. Say now. Now. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Yes, the Father wants people just like you to worship him. I know you haven't had the best opportunities to learn about God, because as Samaritans, not being pure Jews, the Jews dedicated their life to the Torah and studying it and really diving into it. They got bat mitzvahs and bar mitzvahs, and it was all based around scriptures and, and those rite of passages where the Samaritans, um, you know, they, were, they mingled with the Assyrians. And just over time, um, they kind of became more of a mixing pot of faiths and cultures and ethnicities, uh, similar to probably how it is today. So it's, easily, um, it's easy for people to 
cast their faith to the side or, or just receive whatever was passed down from generation to generation, but it wasn't taken and taught as seriously as the Jews over there. So she had this gap of, you know, maybe what her parents taught her about, you know, her creator God or, or maybe passed down from her caring grandparents. But all she knew was what she was told. So she didn't have the opportunities to learn, but Jesus is telling her, I know you haven't had the best opportunities to learn about God, but he wants your worship even more. And the woman says, well, what I do know is that the Messiah is coming. And when he arrives, he's going to explain everything to us. Jesus tells her, I, the one you've been speaking to this whole time, am him. Remember, the son cannot do anything himself. He can only do what he sees the father doing. And his father in heaven is fighting for his children. He sees his children. He, sees her, he saw her, and he sees you. He knows his children's stories. He knows your story. And he wants his son, Jesus, to be part of it. See, people often wonder, well, what's God's will? Well, God, go, they pray, God, show us your will. What's your desire? See, the, the will of the Father is that we all know his son, Jesus. Jesus will be your advocate. Jesus will represent you. Jesus will redeem you. Jesus will intercede for you. See, Jesus leaves the 99 to pursue the one because he knows a lost sheep knows it's lost, but can't always find its way back to the flock. He knows you don't want to be lost alone, stuck in a cycle of addiction and stuck in a rut. It takes a loving shepherd to pursue the lost sheep, scoop you up in his arms, and to bring you home. All that's required of us is acknowledging that we are lost and allowing the Father to pick you up and carry you home. Another great show that uh, I don't watch it too often, but uh, when I get the opportunity, I will, um, is America's Got Talent. Um, any big fans here? America's Got Talent? I can't keep track of it because the judges are always changing, but every once in a while, I jump in there. And, uh, you know, they showcase hundreds of underdogs. The judges on this show judge people for their talents with a yes or a no. But there's a golden button that sits in front of them every show, and it rarely gets used because each judge is only allowed to push it once a season. When the golden button is pushed, the contestant is automatically awarded a spot in the finale. There was a boy on the show last season, uh, I think his name was Avery, who was an amazing saxophone player. His story was that he was born severely premature, which causes vocal cords not to develop properly. So he kind of sounded like he had a bit of a frog in his throat all the time. And um, along with that, he had some very minor, very minor uh, physical defects. But growing up with this condition, he was severely bullied. He was bullied so badly that he was considering committing suicide. And one night, he found himself standing on, his, standing on stage with his saxophone in his hands of America's Got Talent. And this is what happened. Can I tell you, Avery, if Howie Mandel gets up to dance, that means you're really good because he never dances. I love you. I love you, buddy. I love you, I love who you are. You need to be here. You're supposed to be here. Thank you so and much. you will change the world. Yeah. Because when you play with your instrument, you play with your heart. And we feel it. <laughs> 
because we could feel how special it is for you. And I think America's gonna fall in love with you. Avery, uh, look, every time I hear a story about a kid being bullied at school, it breaks my heart. It breaks it even more now because I have a, you know, a son myself and I could not think of anything worse. Any one of those idiots who bullied you now, I hope is watching this audition. Look, you know, I, all of us were willing you to be good. I didn't know you were going to be great. It was like listening to a singer. You know, you had the ups and downs, and you got 4,000 people in here on their feet. So... It's in your blood. Oh, this is your destiny. If you were looking for validation, you just got it, because I'm going to give you your first yes. There's no need to vote! There's no need to vote! You touch the heart of every human being in this building right now. And I want to tell you, man, you've been bullied all your life, but you tell every bully that you have a big brother named Terry Crews, who is here, who's got your back. And all those bullies are going to have to watch you succeed, my friend. Isn't Terry Crews awesome? I'm convinced if I ever went to LA, ran to him into a restaurant or something, we'd be like BFFs right off the bat. <laughs> but if uh, you're probably wondering, what's that analogy about? And, you know, Terry Crews must represent Jesus, right? And you're right. He comes in, he checks all the boxes. You know, as this Avery stood before the world to be judged, Terry wouldn't allow it. Terry came in and validated and affirmed him and took him under his wing and said, I got you. But John, 1 John, chapter four, 1 John chapter 4, verse 10 to 11 says, love consists in this, not that we loved, but that God, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. What I'm saying is, what if Terry Crews was just Terry Crews? 
What if it was just Terry Crews reflecting the love of his heavenly father towards this boy? As God's church, let's start pressing our golden buzzers a whole lot more. If God so loved us, we need, we need, we must love others purposefully. Purposefully, making an effort. Not waiting for God to open a door, but open the door. You know, not, God, make me more hospitable. What he's saying is just be hospitable. Google it. We need to be purposeful about representing his heart. We need to get to know their name, know their face, and know their stories. And we need to be more self-aware that we are not being potential obstacles, discouraging others from worshiping God in spirit and truth. If you've never known Jesus in this way, or have never given your life to Jesus, maybe you've never given it much thought until right now, I want to give you an opportunity right now to allow him to scoop you up and bring you home. I want to give you an opportunity right now for your own golden button moment. Can I ask for every head to be bowed and every eyes closed, just for privacy's sake, because I'm going to count down from three, and I ask that if you want to give your life to Jesus, please just raise your hand. I want to see your hand so I can pray with you. If you're watching online, please just type in the chat, pray for me. Ready? Three, two, one. If there's anyone in this room this morning that is longing to be scooped up and brought home, now's your moment to raise your hand so I can pray. I don't see any hands this morning, but if there's any desires in anyone's hearts this morning, God sees it. And for those of you at home, God sees it. So let's just all pray together and repeat after me. Jesus, Jesus forgive, me for my sins. forgive me for my sins. Please come into my heart, into my heart. As, my Lord and Savior. as my Lord and Savior. Today I give you my life. Help me daily to walk with your guidance. Thank you for pursuing me. And scoot, now scoot me up and bring me home. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you've said that prayer for the first time and you meant that down in your heart, we just want to celebrate with you. You just made the best decision of your life. And now we're just going to close with a song and just, just meditate on what you can do to get to know other people's stories and reflect the heart of God.
service. What a word. Can we just thank Frank back there, hiding back there. Jesus is your advocate. And I love that thought. Be thinking about who you can press the golden buzzer for this week. (laughs) What a thought. Hey, if you want to linger in this atmosphere, you are welcome to. Our our prayer team is going to come up to the front. So if you want prayer for anything, just somebody to stand with you and agree with you in faith for God to move on your behalf, you're welcome to come up at any time. The band's going to keep on playing. Otherwise, you're dismissed. Be blessed. Have an awesome day, and we'll see you next weekend.